Welcome to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Join us as we share our favorite RPGs, one-shot games, tabletop games, reviews, and convention panels. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, a sign to Ragnarok story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. Um, I guess we'll get started since I've got five o'clock on my watch. Um, this is would a phaser by any other name still goes at, uh, which you know, naming made up names in science fiction and fantasy. Made up names for made up technology. Uh, my name's Bruce Davis. I am an author of uh, both science fiction and fantasy. Um, I'm with uh, Brick Cave Media, publisher out of Mesa. Books are available over there in the dealer's room at uh, Mostly Books. Uh, if anyone would like to pick one up, that would be greatly appreciated. Uh, in my day job, I'm a trauma surgeon, and I've been a science fiction fantasy fan for... Uh, as long as I can read, so. But these lovely ladies, take it away. I'm Catherine Wells. I am also an author of uh, science fiction, uh, novels, and short stories. Uh, I have a new book out this year, uh, Crystal Desert, and I wish I could show you a copy, but as I said, I managed to walk out of the house without my bag of books. <laughs> Catch me tomorrow. I'll have, I'll have ones that you can, can have a look at. And by default, this is Gloria. Hello, I'm Gloria McMillan, and I'm not a writer of science fiction. I'm a dramatist, and I'm going to have our play done tomorrow. And I'm also an artist and cartoonist, and I will be giving away some of my Glow's Adventures in Rat Lab Land cartoons. <laughs> if you don't like the book I, I wrote, I edited several years ago about Ray Bradbury, you can have the cartoons, and I also have reproductions of my uh, decalcomania art that was inspired by our guest of honor last year, Alan Clark, who's a master of that. So, I'm not real sure where to go with this panel. Um, well, I am. <laughs> I'm sure you are, yeah. Lots of places to go. So, there's been a very long um, tradition of made-up technology with made-up names in, in science fiction. And I guess the first question is, should we have some conventions for doing that? Or should we just kind of make them up? <laughs> well, I, I don't think you could enforce any conventions. We could try to establish some, but uh, getting uh, this many writers to uh, abide by them, I, I think is kind of like trying to nail jello to the wall. <laughs> Maybe I should rephrase that then. Do you have personal conventions in terms of how you name things? I, I have a personal philosophy. Uh, I, I, I try to use combinations of words 
pieces of words that the reader will recognize and associate with something related to the technology. Uh, I, if I have a, uh, basically a, a robot that is, is guarding the border, you know, I, I call it uh, uh, a surbot, a surveillance robot. So it's a surbot. So I, I try to use pieces of things that are recognizable. Oh, that makes sense. I'm, I'm more in the area of academia and semantics, so I think that it's important to have things that in some way recognize the power of words to have create reality. And when you're, when you're giving things names, that's a terrible power. If you've read um, Ray Bradbury's The Naming of Names story, it's a short story about the earthlings being very egregious and naming everything after themselves on Mars. <laughs> that, you know, this will come up in your stories, the, the naming of things. So part of it's technology, but part of it is just who gets to make up the names half creates the reality. And I'm looking at it from a different angle than just naming this and that and how, how they're named. Well, that's a good point, though, because by, by choosing particular names, as you alluded to, yeah. you uh, inform the function of whatever it is that, that you're doing. But you can also create kind of a, a social convention for your world so that, you know, um, I'm thinking uh, the, the old uh, THX 1138, where the most human looking characters in there are the security robots. Right. You know, oh, which yeah. is just a, a, a huge telling contrast. Because um, they're, they're adopting postures and poses that you would associate with humans, and all the humans are walking around yeah. robotically. Oh, yeah. Um, I haven't seen that I. I I use conventions like you alluded to in, in my fiction where a, you know, a, a um, robot that unloads cargo is just simply a cargo bot. You, know? I mean, you name it for what it does. But when you start getting into technology, like in, in my profit books, I have a gravity drive. Well, I don't name it anything fancy. I call it a moss drive because that's the guy who invented it. <laughs> um, so you can get into all kinds of weird stuff if you want to follow some rule of using the function or the physics, like phaser. I don't know what phaser is supposed to mean other than photons. But he wanted to use laser, but laser wouldn't uh, wouldn't do what he had this doing. Right. So he just changed the just first, first phony. I would like to broaden this out and not stick at the level of trees in the forest. Um, the original robot was in RUR by Carl Chopek in 1920. And we could call things Joe Friendly Bot, and they could be killers. Because we live in a, wor a world of misleading names, ad agencies, Madison Avenue, Mad Men, who name things. And we're getting into an age where we have AI, which can be used, yes, as Joe Friendly Bot, but Joe Friendly Bot also has all these appliances which could make him Joe Killer Bot by his thousands in, in war. So, you know, this is, this is going to be a problem because things can be named very deceptively in terms of what their functions are. I just watched the Chinese um, 
World Robotics, China World Robots, or whatever it's called, Expo. And it's like a 20-minute video. And, and they have the smiling faces. They look like Chinese poets with long, you know, flowing hair. But then they showed the little dogs that can flip over. And they said, oh, and last year we had 100 of them doing it all at once. And I thought, oh, yeah. And they can have these nails, which can go right into you with inject whatever, just like the mechanical hound did in Fahrenheit 451. So, so if you call it Joe Friendly Bot, is it Joe Friendly Bot? So I, I, yeah. I have a question just kind of to feed off of that. I mean, writers, for, since they've been writers, yeah. have loved that dichotomy of naming things that way. I mean, that's almost a literary tool. So I, I don't know that I would say that's a cautionary tale. That's like a tool well, of the trade. Yeah. Robots uh, in Rosum, you know, they were named robots because that was a helpful sort of like being that wouldn't cost you any money to feed or, you know. Is it the root, the fat and check slave? Something yeah, like that. Yeah, like serve labor. Yeah. But that's that's just the point. That has since been adopted as a convention for something that is an semi-autonomous or autonomous machine. Whatever it does, whether it's Joe Friendly Bot or whether it's Evil Kill You Bot. I mean, I'm looking it's at Murderbot. Murderbot, it's, it's called Murderbot, but is it really Murderbot? Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, 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 she is. Well, uh, yeah, but... but but no, conflicted murder bot. Don't save yourself that, right? And, but anyway, yeah. Um, but, yeah. Oh, no, so what I was going to say is it also depends on, like, when you're writing, is the technology, is the story about the technology that you want to give it probably some interesting different name? But if you're just using the, the technology as the tool to move your story forward, it, it, it's teleport. They needed to go to this other planet to do the thing. Right. So you don't necessarily need to give it an interesting name. It, it depends it's on not integral to the story. It, it depends on how you're utilizing that tool. If it's just everybody has one and we're using it, it doesn't need a. It actually probably should have a trade name or a what we would associate with trade names because that's the world you're in. Um, on the other hand, if you're the guy who's inventing it. And that's the focus of the story. You're going to have a whole lot different level of detail and naming conventions. Or, or if it's a war and the, the troops on all sides are autonomous weapons and, you know, they can be called many things. They can have many trade names or brand names. But this, this is a, a thing facing us. You could have an army of autonomous drones and you could be... Called Buzzy Bees, friendly Buzzy Bees. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it, whatever you call them, they're going to be that word, whatever you choose. See, that's the whole title of our panel. Is going to be associated with whatever function they fulfill. So if you call them friendly Buzzy Bees and they start killing things, yeah. friendly Buzzy Bee is all now not a friendly name. <laughs> No, and people are going to need it something you know, else whether you want them to or not. <laughs> if, if you call it security forces, and what they really do is oppress people, security force doesn't mean security anymore. No. And, and we've seen well, that time and again. Yeah. It, so I, I think that's, I think you're drawing a somewhat artificial distinction there. No, I don't there. think it's an artificial distinction because it goes back to Shakespeare and Rose by any other name. 
that that hasn't been solved. I, maybe you think that's been solved, but I don't. I don't think uh, that's it's not that. It's not anything to be solved. solved. I think, I think it, it means, means that, that naming, names names can be arbitrary. Names can be intentionally misleading, and then sometimes if the busy buzzy bees become a buzzword, no, no pun intended, <laughs> then they will change to another innocuous name, and it will keep going to stay one step ahead of people, so that they will keep thinking that these are not so. I mean, I'm just giving a caution. I'm allowed to do this on this panel. I'm giving the cautionary point of view, whereas it's the whole capitalist thing is to say, oh, it's the, and even in China now they're so capitalist. Oh, these are wonderful. Look, they can be like our poets. And and I all I'm thinking from my years of reading science fiction, oh yeah, just like the mechanical hound in Fahrenheit 451. So why would that be a cautionary tale for writers? Yeah, perhaps I'm misinterpreting like why is it why doing we, on this panel? You're making just, it sound like writers should not be doing that. No, I, I'm saying that uh, these words have terrible power to mislead, and many things are censored by omission, and things are named to be purposely misleading. And what we're saying at the beginning is, well, yeah, we'll just give them these nice, transparent names because language is just a clear window through which we view things. Well, language is not a clear window. But even Shakespeare, but that's not even what I said. So misleading language. I mean, he literally used, you know, misinterpretation and misleading language to propel his stories. If if you're telling a story and you're going to make up a name and you have it be a misleading name, then that better be an intent in your story. And I'm sure it will be. Because if you're going to that extent to make up a deceptive... uh, plot point, then that probably is leading to something. It should. If it isn't, then you've wasted well, your time. And we have plenty of examples of people who do put in misleading names for a good reason. In fact, Rosum's Universal Robots was initially a very benign name, but it became known as something else as, as time went on and people were being Culled because they weren't, you know, meatware wasn't worth its keep. A lot of people are very concerned about these things. So, you know, this vapor, some of our toys and our tropes are becoming real in the real, I don't know if that's fair to say real world, but the mundane world. But, but as, as writers, if you're going to imagine or make up a device, a, a technique, whatever, and you're going to name it something, you choose the name based on the intent of the story. Like, if you just need to get from point A to point B, it's just a teleporter, whereas if it's an evil teleporter, you might add something else in there. If you're going to choose a very benign, very misleading name, and then the point of your story is that that's a misleading name, that's the point of the story. That's why you chose it. If I'm going to say, you know, friendly robot who's going to go out and kill people as opposed to murder bot who's going to go out and kill people. That has to have a different point of the story. And that's a reflection on who makes the name, who has the power to name things and what kind of a society it is in your story. Of course, yes. yes. That's, yeah. But that was a point I made earlier on. When no, you name I something... that point you made earlier on. When you name something in your story... You either choose it for just technical reasons, or it informs the social background that you're working in. We kind of left you out of this, Kathleen. Well, it it went in a direction that I was uh, 
unprepared for. So, um, but <laughs> I was but, totally prepared for. It. Yeah, I can tell. You can tell. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but when it comes to to naming technology, I think the point we need to to take from this is that consider who in your story did the naming. Exactly. Is it just the name that people call it by, that the common man calls it by? Is it the name the manufacturer called, you know, called, uh, gave to it? Is it the name the ad company gave to it? Uh, those, those are things that you consider. Uh, as I, I mentioned earlier, with the phaser, uh, uh, Roddenberry didn't want to say laser because you, know, you can't put a laser on stun. Uh, and <laughs> these things are supposed to do things that lasers, you know, Don't do. you shoot a laser and where does it end? Uh, uh, okay, no. it just keeps going. Um, but, but so he just changed the first phoneme and then, but people knew from the sound of it that it was going to be some kind of weapon. Yeah, that yeah. that was that was his intent. In I, 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 I don't know enough Star Trek lore to know if Phaser then informed Photon Torpedo. Well, okay, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> even within Star Trek, you know, one race uses Phaser, one race uses Disruptor, yeah, and they both make things go blow up, yeah, and they get fired. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it becomes. Kind of a moot point. I mean, if you start writing or getting into military science fiction, and you get a lot of acronyms that, and military loves their acronyms if they can then Could run I into a fake word. Could I oh, uh, then, we have the issue, then we have the issue of AI and when it's combined with Joe Friendly Bot. And many people are very concerned about what they call AI, and I think it's mis mislabeled. And I think science fiction writers have gotten it more correct in many of their stories than what's out there. Everything is AI. Your toaster is AI. Your shoes are AI. And are they really AI because we're calling them AI? No, they're not. AI is, is something that actually has very high sophisticated qualities of being a sentient self-awareness. And most of these things are totally human programmed, even the so-called autonomous drones. So AI is very worrisome to people. It's become almost, a, a, and you know, it's across the whole culture. Everybody is talking about AI is going to eat your grandma's knickers, and you know, it's a very scary concept. But what we what we have is not AI. So I think that misleading names can cause a lot of disruption, whether in fact or in fiction. Well, they're supposed to in fiction. Not if always. you're putting a misleading name in fiction, you better be creating disruption. That's the point. Not always. That you know the misleading so name. So help us understand where it does. I mean, you're you're talking as though fiction writers have to be a certain level of representation in their writing in regards to what they name technology. No. Talk to me about a writer that doesn't do that or somewhere where. No, it, no, I, that isn't what I'm saying. I'm just saying that there are things out in society that are. The buzzwords of any given time, we call it the rhetorical situation of any given time. And AI right now is one of these. And science fiction has dealt with it, but it what the public who isn't who don't read science fiction, I think, have a very different, more misled but, idea. But we're talking about is. writers creating names, not about what the public right. perceives as right. our current reality. So a couple of things. So one from what you're saying. So mm -hmm. AI is something that science fiction has been poking at 
turret for a long time. The, right. the sentient machine, which is basically a silicon based life form, is able to make decisions on its own. Um, it doesn't need to be programmed. Um, it can figure things out from scratch, uh, which came long before. And AI as a as a marketing tool is a much catchier name than to actually tell people that it's not AI. It's just a super duper guesser because that's what current that's AI right. is. Or right. advanced right. machine learning. Right, right. But, but basically, but not, it's, not, it's not even it's not even learning. It's actually just it's what they call heuristics. It's advanced guessing. Mm -hmm. So you load it up and it looks for patterns because mm -hmm. machines right now excel at identifying patterns. I'm in medicine, you're in medicine. One of the things we look right. at medicine with AI coming out is what they call treatment bundles. Mm -hmm. So I take and I load all information on all the patients I have, everything. Their height, their men, which way they dress, their sexual orientation, their income, their stress level, the whole kit caboodle and all their diagnoses and outcomes the drugs ever got. And then I got this huge database, then you present and I say, oh look, here is Glow. Glow has this disease state, and it goes back and looks for everybody that matches you as closely as possible, puts all the possible permutations in it that it's got examples of, mm -hmm. and, and says the people who match GLOW most closely, <coughs> who had this disease state, got this particular treatment sequence, achieved the best outcomes, and it says, I suggest you treat GLOW with this, based right. on the depth of the data, such as really good guessers. So there's an naming thing with marketing, right? And I'm I'm in drugs. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you, I don't know who makes up the names of pharmaceuticals. I think it's a Scrabble set. I think we're losing what point I was actually making, but that was very, very Right, so so you can deliberately or something a friendly name because you want fly around and do things, you right. can attach things onto a drone. So it's just, right, it sits there, it's just a drone, right? I'm going to give a nice, friendly name. Okay. And I want people to think about the fact that somebody could, with a, a couple solenoids, put a, a single shot or multiple shot weapon on it and go out there and basically snipe people. Which is exactly yeah. right. what they do. On, on the flip side, you can use things to be fun to move a story along. Um, a good example is Stargate, right? Mm -hmm. Tilt has a name for that guy. And I can't pronounce it, it's in the language. And O'Neill just goes Zapka. Right? He hears the name a couple of times, he can't pronounce it. Just says, that's a Zapka. That's a Zapka. Because it right? zaps. Right, because it zaps. And, and it's a fun kind of play because Tilt is very formal and he always calls it by appropriate name. And it meets their, it fits their personality. So in a way, it's a play on names. Um, so sometimes you just have to make up a name. It's even more as a made-up technology. It doesn't even exist. It's like a made-up technology, a made-up thing that uses it. Okay, but my point was something a little bit different than that. It's that you create panic when you're giving something like AI to the public and, and acting as though it already exists and it's going to eat your grandma's Snickers and all those other bad things um, when it doesn't actually exist. What we have is advanced machine learning, and it's far from being HAL in 2001. And some of the things that would be AI. So the question but, is, but it's wait, wait. Yeah. I finished my sentence. It's um, that this kind of naming is important. That goes back to the title of the panel. Would would it still zap if it was called something else? And what what societal effect would it be if we call things by a name that isn't what they are, but that instills huge hysteria in the public, like AI is doing? Because the words have create what isn't there. 
No, names are important. Names give things meaning and definition. But whatever you call that phaser, it's an object that would still do the same thing. Yeah, if I want to call it toe, I mean, it, it still, it still okay, does that it. same no, thing. So yes, you're right. You can mislead and, and, and you create, create panic in false the impressions yeah. by panic. how you name things. Right. But the naming, the question is, does the naming convention in your writing, not in what I'm putting out there for public consumption or not what I've actually meant, yeah. in your writing matter? And I think we've already alluded to it. It, it may matter. If it's a plot point, yes. If it's simply a tool, you know, hand me the thingamajig so I can tighten this frame of staff. You know, who cares? Well, that's taking what the topic of this panel is in the most literal and very narrow sense, because that isn't what I thought the panel was going to be about. I thought it was going to be about will things act as though they were something they are not just because they are called that name. Well, I didn't get that out of there. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe made up think, items in I science think, fiction and fantasy. It's I think pretty it's clear. because of rhetoric and my field being rhetoric, and it's very well, important what you call things in rhetoric, and if it's and and I would I in in real world applications I would totally agree. Words have meaning, and in and real we fictional be, applications too. I think in fictional well, applications, yes, words matter, but they matter as part of story. Yeah, and in the naming and of names, and in that sense, that, they that are the matter. choice of the author. Right, like in Bradbury, where the naming of names, and that's a fantastic story dealing with precisely what I'm talking about. The people who have the power to name things create a new situation where that is what that mountain is. Now it's that name. So your tone suggests that that's a bad thing. Well, it depends on who's doing the naming, who has what, the power what, of naming. But as a writer... It's not so much the word itself. The word could be grizzable. It's who has the power to call things certain things, so and then does, it sticks. So does that determine whether it's good or bad, the person that has the power? It depends I'm not sure what, I'm understanding. I, I think have you read Ray Bradbury here, by any what's, chance? What's happening here is you're, you're telling us something, but you're not giving us the complete end point. Okay, well, I'm trying to matter? tell you that names are very important and, Absolutely. That, and that the people who have the power to name things or people or groups or groups of people and make those names stick and make those qualities stick is okay. very... To what so, end? What, what is the end point of that? Like, are you suggesting that they The end point is talking or? about the power of rhetoric and semantics, that words are very important. They have create reality. Okay. Which is what we in, do as authors stories. all the time. Yeah, right. in, in not always good ways. And, and we usually take this in such a routine way of, oh, I'm going to call this a gridzop because it's a gridzop. You know. there, are, there are many different ways that names reflect power situations. And the people being named, or robots, whatever, are being named certain things, May not I, match the names. I think or most, most writers are very much aware of that. I think if, you're right. If not just intuitively, if I'm going to give something a name and it has importance in the world building or the story, or implies something about the people who created the name, I'm going to pick a certain type of name. If I'm just going to have a fancy wrench 
I'll just call it a fancy wrench. You know, I mean, like the no, one made earlier. A sonic screwdriver. Sonic screwdriver. We're getting way yeah. You know, I mean, like a multi-tool. Yeah, what the hell is a multi-tool? Yeah, multi-tool, you know, yeah. I can make it do anything I want because it's a multi-tool. Well, um, that's because whereas, you have the power of making it a multi-tool. <laughs> exactly. Because you're the king of your society. Whereas if I, you know, I'm I'm naming the animals on a planet that I've colonized, and mm-hmm. I call a particular thing a jumping Jiminy. Well, that's going to give you an implication about what it is. But what if I tell you a jumping Jiminy is actually a pack hunting carnivorous kangaroo? Nice. Now they're scary things. <laughs> I have a scary story for you. Ray Bradbury was very against colonizing. He, he really ridiculed it in the Martian Chronicles and the naming of names, especially that chapter. And so what did NASA do? Anybody know what the punchline is of this one? For the Curiosity rover, what did NASA do? Anybody? Don't remember, huh? Okay, they named the landing part. Isn't that right, Bob? Is it Curiosity where they named the landing area Bradbury? They did. Despite uh, this whole... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they got to name it something. Now, come on. You know, it's this whole career. We don't have Martians to consult, so we've got to name it something. You can take every mountain in the Southwest and rename it after a gringo, you know, so... And that was kind of the model for Mars. But, you know, the, the naming, and, and he was so adamant about that. And so what did they do? They went and named the landing. And was my, a friend of mine who's a science fiction fan said, well, come on, Glow, there you go again. She said, well, of course, now what saves it is we know that there are no previous uh, civilizations on Mars. If they are, they're only at the level of a paramecium. And they probably didn't call that landing area much of anything. <laughs> now that's an inference, you know. But, they but did, you're but. saying that they that that was something inappropriate that they did. Oh yes, very. Do you know that they did it to be intentionally inappropriate? Oh they, no, they didn't. They just had red Bradbury, which is very embarrassing for NASA, I think. What are they going to call it? They got to call it something. Well, they don't have to call it after someone who didn't like things on Mars being named after Earth people, like Bradbury. They could have named it somebody else. So these naming conventions are extremely important, and and within fiction as well, and as that story, the naming of names. Um, the other one is, and the moon be still as bright. Have you all? Read that. And I don't know. They think names don't have to be pretty cool. <laughs> That's the one where the one astronaut goes native and he, he gets very angry because Biggs is throwing bottles into the canal in, in Bradford. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and it says, I dubbed the Biggs Canal or Briggs Canal. In the story, it's Biggs, and in the movie, it's Briggs. But uh, so this one astronaut, is, he's, he's getting very the vibes of the previous people. And it upsets him so much to watch this drunken astronaut throwing all these bottles into the canal and naming it after himself. So naming is, is very important. And who does it and why in fiction? And that was fiction. That wasn't fact. That was but that, the, the point of that was exactly the point you made. Yes. It was a plot point. It was the important the, it plot was point. The, the, the conflict between the two characters based on their behavior. And and the fact that they that this guy and was being badly. 
Not just that, Bradbury was into general semantics, and he had written a previous story called Referent about a little boy in a colony of genius boys who are being raised by semanticists. This was a big movement. It's sort of, I don't know what the equivalent movement is today, but it was a big movement in post-World War II where people talk more carefully, S.I. Hayakawa language in, in action. If we talk more accurately, we wouldn't have new wars because we wouldn't be misapplying terrible labels and buzzwords just willy-nilly at a high level of abstraction. So Heinlein was influenced by it, Philip K. Dick, Bradbury, of course, A.E. Van Vogt, they were all influenced by it. And it all had to do with naming of names and the importance of language half creating reality. And so this story, and you can get it at Project Gutenberg, it's called Referent by Ray Bradbury, where this little boy meets up with a, a being who comes to uh, wherever this planet is. He's being trained, as these genius kids are, to be the perfect semantics uh, people. And this thing can change into anything, because if you know semantics, it's the ultimate referent. The, the signs are the labels we put on things, and the referent takes, is the thing that's being labeled. And so it keeps changing its shape every time someone looks at it and labels it, because this is the power of naming. Has so anybody got a favorite device or sonic screwdriver <laughs> that, that is made up? Uh, I think some of the best um, made up technology was by um, Edoptimus, the Lensman series. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The laminar. Yeah. But again, they're, they're, they're names that imply certain functions, but they don't tell you what it does yeah. or how it works. But still, it's really the technology is like space opera. So it's, right. it's, it's, just, it's just fun for me because of all the fantastic technology and other things, but it's like it's like a major adventure story, so you, you accept it as part of the world's As part of the world's background. Background. Right. Um, Naturalized. Like another one is the hyperspanner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a cool multi-tool kind of thing that must do whatever you need. <laughs> and my favorite from Hitchhiker's Guide, uh, oh, the Killer Zap. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, that does what it, that does exactly what it says it will do. Battlefish. Battlefish was good because that was language. Yeah. It was very good. Instant comprehension of anyone's language. And that's the black box we use in all science fiction because most people in science fiction are not interested in linguistics. So we make them all telepaths or use some kind of black box. Universal translator. Yeah. 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 Well, but again, you don't have to explain how it works. Mm -hmm. It just works. How does the Heisenberg compensator work? Very well, thank you. And there's three pages of data dump. Any points to make, Catherine? Well, I, I, I think the, the point that we draw is that naming is important. It, it matters. Yeah. It matters uh, uh, if you call it a, a phaser or a laser. You don't want to call it a, a laser because that is, is not... Uh, consistent with what the, the thing does. I so, think that's a good point. Yeah. Because if you're going to either extrapolate technology or invent new technology, you don't necessarily want to name it after something that we already know very well how it should behave. Yeah. And then make yeah. it behave radically different. And, and another thing is when you do invent a name for your technology, 
please Google it and make sure it isn't already in <laughs> Somebody already made that thing up. Sorry, or that it isn't already used for something else. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, I, I have written the, this, this whole book with the, the, the VT uh, aircraft, the VT something something, and I thought, maybe I should check and see if there is an aircraft called Mm -hmm. or, or that it isn't a rude word in some yeah. other language. Very bad word. So I remember, how many years ago was it when they used to have the billboards here in Tucson that said Skynet? Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The yeah. weather channel. I was yeah. like, do you not want movies? Do you not know what you just did there? <laughs> I still see that on occasion. Oh, it's really? Like, okay. Okay, guys. Either you're intentionally going there. Yeah. Which you may well be, or you miss the reference, which, which gets into this whole business of cultural reference. Right, right. What may be acceptable in one culture or in one time is no longer acceptable or may be offensive in a different culture. And so, yeah, you have to be a little bit careful with your naming conventions and with colloquialisms that you may throw into your, you know, your dialogue. Um, I think especially if you're writing science fiction, you got to be kind of careful not to keep it too close to what we use today because it becomes well, obsolete so fast. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, what do you think of the NADSAT language in uh, Clockwork Orange? I think it's dated. It no longer resonates. Yeah. It doesn't? I don't think it does. No, I've read, I, read Clockwork Orange recently, and it's all because, because it's it was written in a very um, certain rhetorical certain, situation. It, it, no, it's kind of it has to do with the the time that the book was yeah. written and references That's to the Soviet about. Union. That's what we call that. It. No longer are referent now. In our so field, I find we call it very dated. Quite, I find it very dated. And I don't think it works anymore. You, you have to read it with that in mind and understand where it came from. Otherwise, so why it's like, is it dated? Hmm. I mean, the Russian words are still the same, and they're just. But, but it's, they're no longer relevant. Relevant to what? To, to where we the culture We're today. We're in a Cold War situation now. I would think wow. it's more relevant than ever. Well, I don't find it that way. I, I found it. I found it dated. I found it some of the things that they were. They were emphasized. I, it would be more current, I think, if those words were Korean. Could it be updated then to the current Cold War that we're in? Well, why would it? It's because written at a specific time for a specific we're in another nation. One. Why can't we update it? No, why would you update somebody else's work? No. No, I mean another sequel. We're endless. We're endlessly doing sequels. We have franchises, sequels. Yeah. Then you're yeah. departing from the world that was created for that book. Books are not reality. Books are are oftentimes, even though they may be speculative, anchored in a particular time and place. Mm -hmm. You read a lot of Heinlein stuff, and it just doesn't resonate anymore. Boy, a lot of uh, Gibson stuff continues to evolve. Right. Yeah, his, yeah. I mean, you can, you can go back to no, current authors and, and compare yeah. early work with current work I have and another, see the evolution. I'm sorry, I have another question about Clockwork Orange. Was it about 
the language, or was it was that just a trope, and it was about something else? Was it more about conditioning people so they didn't have? That's what it, it, that was what yeah. it was about. I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. Was the language a major part of it? Yes, I thought it was because it was building the world of these gangs, mm-hmm. and it was very much a part of their world. But for me, it it no longer resonated the way it did when I first read the book I'm in not the seventies. What do you mean by resonate? It's, it sounded dated to me, to my ear, listening listening as I'm reading. But other things are older and they're not current, and yet they're still, they still, as you term it, resonate with people. Because it depends on the genre. It depends on the point of the, the story. If you're taking a, a gang and with their own special language and you're creating this language for them to speak, which is current for them, but the intent is to be referent to things going on in the world around you, which is what was intended there. So you think there is no um, coercive behavioral modification going on anymore? I never said anything like that. That's I said I found like. the language So let me dated. ask you, That's all. I'm ask you yeah. if everything that you read 40 or 50 years ago is exactly the same. I wouldn't make a generalization. Ah, let me finish. But you just yeah. made a generalization. Everything you read 40 or 50 years ago is exactly the same to you as it is when you read it. I would say I wouldn't generalize, first of all, and I would take each thing separately. And I have a different, you know, there isn't one reading and every person reads a different novel when you're reading a novel. So So the answer to the question is that it's reader response theory it's called. So so yeah. Bruce isn't allowed to have different I just reader said everybody theory. who reads is that, it. Is that is that kind of what you're trying no, to do? No, no, yeah. Let me explain. For me it is not uh, irrelevant or obsolete. For him it is. Right. And my theory that I'm dealing with is called reader response theory, which is that he has a right to have it be not resonating. But he was making the generalization, trying to get everybody to be on board with him, that it's and yet obsolete. the questions that you're asking I, I, are implying that he's... I wasn't trying to persuade anybody. I was saying for me, the language is obsolete. In rhetoric you were. You were trying to get people to agree that the conditions of that novel were no longer current, hence the novel itself did not resonate. And I think different people do read differently. And that's another aspect of naming and language conventions, that every reader has a right to read the book in the way that that reader reads the book. The the same reader reading the same book at different times will have different interpretations and different responses. That's what I was going to say is, at the time Burgess was writing the book, to use Russian language was really subversive, right? He was trying to poke at people to get a reaction from them by using that language. So today, if they were going to rewrite that book, they'd do it in Farsi, or they'd do it in Arabic, or they'd do it some other way to get that 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 There is Russian in our culture. No, absolutely, but but it wouldn't evoke the same reaction I think, I think in the reader that today that, that that it would if you took another language that we would at this point provoke that same sort I of think response given the war in Ukraine I think that Russian is almost totally oh, sure in absolutely and that we are at another point against that oh so no, yeah, I, I'm not disagreeing with you I'm just yeah. saying that the but the general that, audience today and you're wouldn't react everyone, to it the same way everyone's well, reaction today would be the same as it was no, in the 70s. No, I'm not 70s. saying that at all. 
because we have a conflict today that's regionalized. No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm you saying literally that just did it. You I said it would resonate today. No, I'm, I'm saying that every reader reads a different book because of reader response. We don't all have the same responses because of our, our cultural upbringing or whatever and our level of reading, competency, and that you know different people will say different things and that's okay. That's all I'm saying and that's what I've been saying right along. I'm saying not everybody has to agree that a clockwork orange is obsolete or that it doesn't speak to today. I just brought up that conflict because I think we have very little of Russia in our culture and it is very subversive to bring up anything about Russia in this country, yes. Question. Hi. Actually, uh, more of a statement. Uh, with your uh, current naming of things in your books, what in your particular series of books was the thing that you found the most difficult to name? Uh, commonly used things that have to be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. So, um, it, and again, it depends on the world that you're in. I actually found it found we're talking about language. I found it more difficult to come up with colloquialisms that were not current, mm -hmm. but that would sound natural in that environment. Say, like for example, in Battlestar Galactica, people going frack. Yeah, but that that was just a yeah. convention. That's, that's that, you knew what it was supposed to be, yes. and it's just yeah. Yeah. more like uh, if you live, say, you live your life in tunnels under the moon. Um, what is going to be your um, colloquialism for, you know, free and clear, for instance? Right. Free and clear means you're outside, you're going to die. <laughs> so you've got to have, you know, a different thing. I, I would bet my bottom dollar, well, they're not using dollars anymore, I'd bet my last can of air. Okay. Right. right. That implies the same thing with a different set of words. So that, that, for me, was the hard... I had to pay attention to that. Um, weaponry and stuff like that, I can call it pretty much whatever I want, you know? And, and I just chose to go with whatever it did. Um, it's a gun. It shoots things. And then I chose to, just like, you know, in, in thrillers today, it's, you know, Glock 17. Well, okay, I've got a Wang 24, <laughs> you know? Just make up a name, but it's a trade name. It's it's a trade name that is consistent throughout the novel, so that you know that's a particular handgun as opposed to the long rifle. But are handguns obsolete? No. In your, in your stories, I mean, no, actually, they're. So first, well, now we're going to get into what what my world does. I firmly believe we're never going to have handheld lasers because the power. To, Power to weight ratio will never work. We're still going to be shooting chemical projectiles. Really, really. You don't need air to make a chemical projectile work. Um, now, if you live in a pressure dome, you don't want a high power weapon. Okay? You want a spring loaded needler that shoots deadly needles, not something that's going to go through a pressure hall and kill everybody. Yeah. Kevin's there. Yes. That question, I was curious what your answer was. You know, I, I've never really had a problem naming things because I love words and I, I love to say, well, let's see, what do I want to convey with this? Or what, you know, what is the reader going to understand from what I'm calling this thing? 
And uh, yeah, in, in my world, they don't say frack, they say void. Referring okay. to the, the void. void. You know, that it, it communicates immediately, uh, um, you know, that this is, this, this is a, a, you know, a bad thing. A, a bad thing. <laughs> and and uh, they don't talk about any god by name, they just say the divine. And so that would encompass everyone's. Uh, but but I I enjoy you know I had to think of a name for a, a futuristic fighter jet. Hmm, how about uh, pterodon? You know, hey, that's a mean flying thing. You know, it's, right. it really, so I I have fun with it. I I have never really come to a situation where I didn't know what to call that. But again, that's only if you're naming things in order to make them match the object. And there are other kinds of naming, and there are other meanings to names that we, you know, that there are and, and represent and, the people more and, than the names. And, and, and some in, in some power to in some situations where there was a you know a, a societal uh, 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 situation where there were someone was trying to mislead, then they might name it something that was not obvious or did not convey what it does. But so far, I haven't written about one of those situations. Well, there are things so. like, you know, naming pieces of swamp, paradise estates, you know, and that goes on on Mars. Florida. Yeah. <laughs> I can't agree more. There, that, if you're doing that in your book or story, it has a specific purpose. That's oh. right. Of course it does. Jerry Purnell's got those books where one of the planets is named Haven. Yeah, Haven. Or, not. or, yeah, uh, down. Falkenberg's Legion. Yeah. That whole yeah. series. There's like three or four planets that are very ironically named. Whose book is Hell's Pavement? Anybody know that one? That's from the 50s. And I think it's not very I don't know. I, I, what I've always loved about Purnell is, is the kind of shoot from the hip kind of naming. Oh, yeah. You know, like, you know. We made it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, some of them are like that. Yeah, yeah. the names of the, the planets or the cities are very. Yeah, yeah I never did that with the head or the planets called Jinx. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's let our friend at the back. Did, did you guys ever start with a cool name and that built the story? Like, like I got to write something around this because this is pretty cool. I have built a story around a person's name um, you know I mean Cleopatra Lee was an intentional choice cool. nice. um, based on people that I knew and and a certain set of things and it's in a way in its own way kind of misleading um, but yeah I, I don't think I've ever written thing anything around a cool name um, maybe a place name you know but that's been done before. Sure. Like Paradise, which is definitely not. <laughs> yeah, I, I try to choose names where I don't have to explain the name. Uh, unless, again, if there were a situation where that was the point is that you didn't know what it was, and it wasn't until you know the big reveal that you find out that, the, oh, that's, uh, uh, but, but mostly, I'm just trying to communicate effectively with my readers by giving them names that they don't have to say. <laughs> yeah, what are the, by, 
by using it, yeah. you immediately know what exactly, it is. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Uh, in context, you get it. I, I have so many words myself that I when I see them in context, I know what they mean. A definition? No, I can't really tell you. <laughs> I'd struggle with I that. E I have an e-reader. Let me just touch and let it give me a definition so I know what this word I've been using for decades. It's like, oh, is that what it really means? <laughs> right. Right. Or the origin of the word, which is sometimes even oh, more interesting. Yeah, I, I love word origins too. <laughs> Since there's only a few minutes left, could you give a quick spiel about where you're going to be for the rest of the con? Sure. Uh, I've got my schedule right here. Tomorrow I'll have an autograph <laughs> session from uh, uh, from one to two, no from noon to one in autograph two and on saturday um that is saturday tomorrow saturday and then uh, uh i'm not on another panel until eight o'clock that night uh who is your hero really uh so more writing stuff and i'll, I'll be around if you want to catch me and you know chat a little bit love to and uh 9 a.m tomorrow for all those of you who are actually going to be up <laughs> um, I'll be talking with other people about researching your writing. Uh, a rabbit hole I've been down way too many times. Of course, we all now have the magic answer box that can tell us anything we want, anytime we want. Well, sometimes. Uh, and then at 11, keeping it real, how to make fantasy worlds feel real. Basically some world building uh, in fantasy and, and I hope science fiction too. Um, and then I've got a couple panels again on Sunday. Um, and I'm always around, willing to talk to anybody. Yeah, uh, mingle with the guests, I'll be there. Yeah. So well, I'm going to be at the autograph session uh, at noon with the cartoons and things that I do in addition to the books that I've edited. And then at 1 p.m., no, yeah, 1 p.m. in the same room. Is this our future? Mad Men and the dopamine rush, semantics about naming things and who's going to rule us in the world by the power of naming. And so I'm Don Draper and the Ad Men Invented Love. And uh, we, we're going to do the Crystal Egg, which is a, a Zoom Players production on YouTube, and that will be shown at 3 p.m. tomorrow. H.G. Wells, the Crystal Egg. And then on Sunday, Creating through the challenges of the change, menopause, and other adversities. So <laughs> that's it. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. If you enjoyed our show, please check out D&D Journey of the 5th Edition and Ragnarok Enroll a Scion Hero to Ragnarok Story. Also, check out our Patreon page for more content and behind-the-scenes things, as well as joining us for a one-shot game or two.